Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Well, welcome everyone. We're in Luke chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 4 through 10. The title is Secrets of the Kingdom of God. And, and that's why I gave us our verse earlier this morning in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, where we're talking about the kingdom of God, the wonderful, the counselor and his domain. Let me ask you this as you're turning there in Luke chapter 8. Have you ever been in class listening to a teacher and just find yourself lost in understanding or following their instructions? Have you ever found that? Or maybe you sat through a Christopher Nolan movie and at the end you just wondered what in the world was happening here? Uh, I mean, Interstellar or any of the other ones, you're like, what in the world is going on? I get that way just looking at the instruction sheet on how to assemble the latest children's toys. It's just a nightmare. It's like a private hell of mine. Or just looking at Ikea furniture. It's like, uh, you got to be Swedish just to do all this put together. I, I just don't understand it. And many times it happens as we listen to the news regarding COVID guidelines. I mean, who in the world could tell you right now what is it that you're supposed to do or how long you're supposed to quarantine? It just depends on who you talk to or what state you're in or anything of that nature. Or how about a politician who's espousing a a new bill that they will declare will finally bring justice, equality, equity, and the end of the forthcoming apocalypse. You just don't understand what they're talking about. It seems like they're talking over our head or, or it's, it's a different language. I just want to scream out, I don't understand. Just stop. Give it to me plainly. Well, last week we learned that as recipients of the wonderful, amazing grace of God, that we are to commit to being a, uh, becoming intentional, cheerful, generous, and sacrificial benefactors to the glory of God and for the good of others, others and ourselves. And I, and I pray that you've taken these messages and, and as you leave here that you, you dwell on what I'm calling you to do and what the Spirit is working, that you pray over. That's why I always encourage, obviously, small groups or, or even watching the message again, you know, on YouTube or on our website or Facebook. We have in very many different ways. But again, it's to, to understand and think, how am I to be a benefactor? H- have you done that this week, by the way? Have you, have you counted what the blessings that God has given you? You looked at all the things that you've received from God and has that caused you to be intentionally, to cheerfully and, and to sacrificially and generously then give to others or to give back to God of your time, your energy, and yes, your money. But that's what God has called us to do. And that's why I think it's so important for us to gather together because this is where we use our spiritual gifts to build one another up. So do you know what your spiritual gift and are you ready to use it this morning? Just even being here today, you're, you're, you're a recipient and a benefactor of the grace of God. You're a recipient as a child of God. You've come and you want to give back to God just by being here. There are churches in Canada, Canada, where a pastor is being in jail, is being jailed for preaching. They said he could leave at any time as long as he commits to not preaching or pastoring to his people. Now, praise God, because of that, 10 more churches in Canada opened up their doors and says, we're going to start opening our doors. Now, that's Canada. This is not North Korea or Iran or China. This is our neighbors up north. This is moving its way down south to us here. 
In our passage today, we come to the famous familiar parable of the sower, the seed, and the soil. As Jesus continues his message in preaching and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And that's a phrase we've said quite a bit, but we haven't spent much time about it. To the towns and villages of Galilee. So with that, you're in Luke chapter 8. We're going to read verse 48 together here. It'll be on the monitor, but then the rest will be on your Bible. So again, I encourage you to bring your Bibles. Love to hear those pages turn, the people highlighting, taking notes. Here's what Luke writes, and when a great crowd, in verse 4, and when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, Father, help us to understand what your word is for us. What, what a privilege it is to open up your word. For there are many people, many Christians, many nations where the word of God is not allowed, where they have no access to the word of God. So Father, let us recognize the privilege and the responsibility that comes with it. Lord, we open it up with, with uh, thankful hearts, with, with a gratitude, but also I pray with a receptive heart, ready to receive what you have. May we pray and read over the scripture beforehand so we may be ready as we come in to hear from your word, not just for me, but from your word, and then to respond as the Holy Spirit does his work in our hearts. Lord, for your glory and our good, be with us this morning as we, pray, as we continue. In your name we pray. Amen. Now again, Luke points out that large crowds from different towns are converging around Jesus. I mean, from different villages and towns, different people from, from different aspects, maybe some from businesses and some from agriculture, all around, and they're wanting to hear Jesus speak. They want to see his teaching. They want to witness a miracle, a healing. Maybe they're coming themselves to receive that. And as his reputation is growing, so do the crowds. Luke points this out, and a great crowd and a large gathering. So I want you to get this in picture here as we see here. There is a large group of people that are coming to hear Jesus teach, along with, from what we saw last week, his 12, 12 men that he chose, plus the women that were there to support him. So we have a large group of gathering of people. Some are disciples, some are people who are seeking to hear what he has to say, and others are there just maybe for the spectacle of it all. But here's the question. As all these people are coming together to hear and to listen to Jesus speak, the question might be, how many of those that are there, this large crowd, will respond to his good news? You know, I have the same question, just even in our, our small community. I, I'm going to preach and teach, but how many will respond to what the Holy Spirit has? How many are actually here listening and engaging with what I'm having to say? What is the difference between those that accept the teachings of Christ, like the disciples, like Mary and Susanna and Joanna, and those that reject his message. Well, what's the difference between them and the Pharisees and religious leaders? Why, why do some accept what Christ has to say and others reject it? Why do some understand his teachings and others, it just goes over their heads? Have you ever found that? You're listening to a pastor and you can see people saying amen, getting excited, and you're like, I don't know what he's saying. It's all Greek to me. I've, I've had those moments. You know, you read those books and you're like, you know, I've had some books where I just, I just go skate right through and there's others that I'm reading the book and I have to have a dictionary with me, you know, just so I can understand what he's trying to say. 
Now, to help them understand why this type of stuff is happening, well, even though there's a large gathering, this is Jesus. This is the man they have been looking for. It's not like he says, surprise, I'm here. They've been looking for him. This is something they want. But why are they not accepting him? To help them understand this, Jesus now is going to adopt a, a new teaching style. It's teaching in parables. Now, parables are simple stories and illustrations that are taken from everyday life uh, that typically taught one single point. And this is so important. And we'll learn this as you and I go through parables. The parables only teach one simple point. They usually don't teach many. Now, there may be many applications, but there's one point to a parable. They contain spiritual truths found in ordinary stories. Uh, in other words, they were an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. They can be a proverb, a profound or obscure saying, or an illustrative uh, comparison. Now, the key to understanding the parables lie in discovering who the original audience was for. And so that's why you and I must do the hard work. Sometimes scripture, the Bible, may seem difficult to you. I, who was, someone was just telling me they were reading Leviticus. I can't remember who it was. They're like, I don't know, but it was you. Well, I understand. We're not ancient Israel. And so, yeah, I mean, we're talking about some strange things. So I agree with you. Or just reading some other things in scripture and say, I don't understand what this is trying to say. Well, we have to do the work. The Bible is something that you actually have to work in. It's why we call study to be approved workmen. Study the Bible. Be diligent. We need to do the work of understanding who the original audience. It's an ancient text. Luke's narrative is rich with many parables. And today's parable is about the kingdom of God and those who would respond to that invitation to join and be part of the kingdom of God, to become citizens of the kingdom of God. You've heard me use that phrase recently. Now look with me at verse 5. And let's look as Jesus begins to teach in a parable. Now here's the parable, verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Pretty simple, right? Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. It couldn't get any water. Verse 7, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And verse uh, and he goes on to say, and he said these things, he called out. And as he said these things, excuse me, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, this is a simple parable that they should understand. But he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, this parable focuses not on the sower and not on the seed, but on the soil. That's, that's important to understand. This word picture would be very familiar to the crowd that's listening to him this day. Many of them would have been farmers that had spent many hours doing exactly what he just described. Now, at first glance, if you're reading it like me, at first glance, it doesn't seem like this farmer is really good at his job because he's really throwing the seeds at places it will not grow. And in regards, it only grows in one of the four places. He goes, I almost titled this The Crummy Farmer. Uh, but I decided not to. But this farmer just doesn't seem very bright to me. However, that's why we need to get in the ancient text and recognize, well, from my perspective, this doesn't make sense. 
Because as we envision plowing, we plow the field before doing any planting, right? Or planting. We would plow the field and then we would plant the seeds. However, in the, in the ancient world, they would actually go throw the seed everywhere and then they would plow over the seed. Now, so that, that seems a little bit different than how I would picture in my head. Uh, though I have to admit, I'm not a farmer, so maybe they still kind of do that type of thing. They would break up the rocks and all the other things later. Plowing, by the way, in those days was very, very difficult for them to do. They didn't have the machinery that they had. Many times they might have a cattle or maybe uh, probably not even a horse. They would have a, a, an oxen or some type of thing like that. They would put the, an old wooden or stone plow and they would just try to cut up the ground the best they could do. But at the end of the parable, this is what Jesus says. He calls out, he who is as ears to hear, let him hear. Now the phrase called out, when it says Jesus called out, that means to summon, to call them into response, with, or to respond, uh, to respond to what he's saying. So it's more than just saying, hey, you, it's, it's, it's not a description of him saying, hear ye, hear ye. What he's saying is, I want you to respond to me. I'm summoning you. What is your answer? While the clause, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, that refers to those who, can, who will be able to comprehend. So in essence, Jesus is summoning those who will be able to comprehend what he is saying to understand the parable. Parables are a way of telling the story that calls for a response on the part of the hearer. That's the last thing you need to really know about a parable is that parables are meant for you to respond to what was just taught. This is one of the catch-22s with parables. Not everyone will be able to understand, interpret, and apply them correctly. Look with me at verse 9. And when his disciples asked him what the parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets, underline this phrase, secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others... They are in parables. Now look at this. Why are they in parables? So that seeing they may not see. And hearing they may not understand. Now when I read this, I almost want to think humanly, Jesus isn't a very good teacher. I mean, I, I think of a teacher as one of those people who puts the cookies on the lower shelf so that we can all reach it, right? So the job of a teacher and a structure is, is to help everyone understand, right, what, what's going on. Two plus two does equal four. And we want people to understand that. However, Jesus is saying, I am teaching something only to a select few. Not everyone will understand what I'm teaching. That the disciples asked Jesus to explain the parable shows us right here that it was not self-evident as you and I might assume today. Because if you just take the first part of what Jesus said, he said, okay, why is Jesus teaching us about farming? Doesn't make much sense. In Jesus' answer, we see that he had a plan and a purpose in using parables to teach. The first one we see here, the plan of parables. The plan was to speak in parables in order to convey the truth about the kingdom of God. See, Jesus is, is purposely, he has, a, he has a reason for using parables, and that was to convey the truth about the kingdom of God. He points out that only his disciples 
Those who truly follow and listen to him would be recipients of the secrets of the kingdom of God. Did you catch that? It was the secrets of the kingdom of God. In scripture, when you hear the word scripture, or, or sorry, secrets or mysteries, that, that, that refers to misunderstood parts of the Old Testament that with Christ's coming is now being revealed. Something that was once hidden is now being revealed more and more. In this case, Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God. What you and I read earlier in Isaiah, he's now revealing what it looks like to have the, the prince of peace, the wonderful counselor, the one whose kingdom, the seat of David, the throne of David. Jesus is teaching them about it. The kingdom of God is the center of Jesus' teaching. I don't know if you've gotten that so, so far, but, he, but he's been teaching about the kingdom of God. In scripture, we're going to see at least seven parables that teach what the kingdom of God is like. What to expect from the kingdom of God, like the sower and the seed, uh, the, wheat and the, the, the wheat and the weeds, the mustard seed and the leaven, the hidden treasures, the pearl of great price, a fishing net, and new and old treasures. These are things in which Christ is letting them know, here is what the kingdom of God is like. Here's what you can expect. Theologian Walter Leefield notes that the word secrets refers to the purpose and plan of God, which he works out phase by phase in human history and throughout the church. I think we were talking about this on Friday night in our small group. If you were to, to be here with his disciples, if you were able to go back in time, what question would you ask Jesus? You had, you had one question, one thing that you want to understand better. Or maybe think of it this way, when you, when you get to heaven, what is it that you want to ask Jesus? Well, we'd probably say well, the thing that we do not understand the most about Scripture. Those things that haven't been fully revealed. And as you and I like taking Leviticus, Leviticus, by the way, is one of the di most difficult books of the, of the Bible to read. But let me tell you this, Leviticus is central, is central to our salvation. It is hard to understand what Jesus did on the cross until we can understand the book of Leviticus. It's strange. And if you haven't been through the book of Leviticus, if you go to our website, we took 13 weeks and we took a big, broad overview of that. And so I'd encourage you, if you haven't done that, uh, download it. I think you can watch it in two speed. You can watch me speak real quick and you can get it done a lot quicker that way. 20 minutes, you can find out each session what Leviticus is about. So I encourage you, if you haven't done that, because it's so important for us. And so what you and I recognize as we read scripture from Genesis through, you and I are trying to find out how the prince will slay the dragon and win the girl. So the Bible tells us phase by phase who the prince is, who the dragon is, who's the girl, how does he slay him, how does he win? And so bit by bit, those are mysteries and secrets that he is unveiling to his people. And so Jesus now is here on earth. He's the Messiah and he's unveiling. He's peeling away the onions, so to speak, of scripture so that, so that his people can understand more and more of what scripture has. We get a glimpse of this when Paul writes about marriage in the church in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they, they two shall become one flesh. Now, we read that in Genesis chapter 2 this morning even, uh, verse 26 or 27, something of that, that part. But what does that mean? 
that a man shall leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife. Well, in Ephesians, thousands of years later, Paul says this mystery is profound. What's, what's, what's the mystery? How they become one flesh. He says, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So marriage, thousands of years ago, before the institution of the church, was actually instituted to point to our covenant here today and to the church of God. And that's mind-blowing. Now, so they went centuries without understanding that. And that's so important. Also in Colossians chapter 1, you'll hear on the monitor, it says, Now I rejoice. Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given, given to me for you to make the word of God, what? Fully known. The mystery, look at this, the mystery that has been hidden for ages and generation, but now what? Revealed to his saints. Now, who are his saints? That's you and I. Those that are all redeemed by God. Look at verse 27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, those that who are not Jews, are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Again, a mystery that, that the Gentiles will now be included into the family of God. It's a mystery. It was revealed then. Now, through this style of teaching might seem cumbersome. And it might seem difficult. Teaching through parables were very effective in four different ways. You'll see them here. First, parables make the truth concrete. They help us understand. In other words, it's not, to, what's the opposite of concrete? What's the other way? Um, what's it? Vague or, there's another, concrete or, no? Ah, well, let's go on. I, I don't know why I'm doing this to myself. They make the truth concrete. They help us understand. It's something that we can hold on to. A story, an illustration that's very simple. It also makes it portable. Because that's how you and I, we, that's how we share things. We share stories to each other. You know that as a, as a you know, what does your, your dad like to do as they get older? They like to tell you what? Stories. Oh, let me tell you about when I was in high school. Let me tell you about my, you know, we, we, but you know what? They're trying to teach us something, right, through those stories. There's usually some type of moral or some type of lesson. So it's portable. But they also make it interesting. You know, you can tell a story, and it kind of makes it interesting of, of how someone uh, uh, learned how to trust God. I tell the story about uh, diapers for Jacob and how we learned how to trust God in giving money. I, some of you might remember. Why? Because it's interesting, at least. It's better than me just telling you a bunch of, you know, facts. But also, it makes the truth personally discoverable. Because we can take those parables, learn from them, read from them, and we can understand and apply it then to our lives. The disciples were included in the need to know of parables here. And next week, we're going to look at what this parable meant, by the way. We're not going to get through it all. That's not the point of the message today. But understand that Jesus now is teaching in parables in order to convey the truth about the kingdom of God. Now, the second reason why Jesus is now teaching parables is that the purpose in teaching through parables is to reveal and conceal. 
It's to reveal and conceal. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6 if you would. Jesus tells his disciples, but for others, they are in parables. So for the disciples, they were so that they could know the secrets of God. But in Isaiah 6, or I'm sorry, but, but then he goes on, but for others, they are in parables so that they may see and not, or they may see, uh, that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Here, Jesus is quoting Yahweh's pronouncement of judgment against Israel found in Isaiah 6. In this passage, we get a glimpse into the heavenly court of the Almighty God. Now, this is a quick chapter, so I'm going to read through it all together. This is, again, another one of those familiar, favorite, famous passage of scriptures. In the year King Hosea died, Isaiah writes, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, you and I are now getting a vision of what the temple of God looks like, or the throne room of God looks Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with the other two, he flew. And one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, uh, uh, behold, this man has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin has been atoned for. What a wonderful picture that is. But look at verse 8. And then I heard the voice of the Lord, whom shall I send? Whom will go for us? We know this passage of scripture. And Isaiah, you know, he's that alpha guy. He's that guy sitting in the front row of the, of the classroom saying, here am I, send me. And we've used this for missionaries all the times. Here am I, send me. By the way, that should be your call. Here am I, Lord, send me. So God's going to send them. Isaiah is ready to go to Israel and to preach to them to return back to God, to Yahweh. What a wonderful passage. Till you get to verse 9. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and, their bl and, and blind their eyes. Lest they shall see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And could you imagine Isaiah saying, what are you talking about? You're going to give me a ministry that I am wanting to do? You're going to give me an opportunity to preach you, to call the people to repentance, but yet you don't want me to be successful? Hey, can I talk about that here am I, send me part again? Can you think about it? I'm sure none of you have ever put in, put in, been put in position either as a spouse or as a parent or as an employee that you've ever been given a job that you knew wouldn't be successful, right? I mean, who would volunteer for that? But this is Isaiah. Here am I, send me. Oh yeah, but let me tell you, you're not going to be understood. People won't see and they will not repent. 
Who wants that job? I would question Isaiah. Look at verse 11. He says, and I said, well, how long, O Lord? How long is this going to go on? I don't know if I want this job. And he said, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the mist and though a tenth remaineth, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it's felled. The holy seed is its stump. I don't know, Isaiah doesn't seem to get a really good job here. But yet he's given a major responsibility. This is a call to judgment. So you see, sometimes God gives a call that's a call to judgment for those who do not believe. Parables are used to teach a spiritual truth, but one that many times people cannot perceive. They do not understand. They do not respond to the call that the parable makes. One function of a parable is to conceal the truth by presenting it in a veiled way that they cannot understand. The parable both reveals and hides truth in the same time or at the same time. Parables either harden the heart or enlightens the heart. And that's an important thing for you and I to understand as you and I read the parables. Most people will fail to see and hear that leads them to obedience. One theologian notes about the crowd and about the religious leaders when Jesus taught with parables that their problem was not with understanding but with letting the parables alter their behavior. So judgment was come upon them. In short, parables are a judgment on unbelief. Parables are a judgment on unbelief. The Apostle Paul captures this in 1 Corinthians. It's here on the monitor. When Paul writes, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. I guess I may not have that on there. But the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So here it is in a nutshell. Truth is only available to the people who believe and are taught by God. The rejection of Jesus means the decreasing darkness of unbelief. So you, you and I might ask, well, why do people, I share the gospel. I, I show them the power of a transformed life, but yet they don't see how much I've changed. They don't hear the words that I'm saying it's because God has given them over to unbelief now that we understand why Jesus is teaching in parables I want to spend the reminder of our time on the secrets of the kingdom of God because I, I believe it's important for us to understand this the secrets of the kingdom of God in Luke chapter 4 verse 43 Jesus declared I must, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God she says, for I was sent for this purpose. In Luke 7, Jesus proclaimed, the one who is the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. In Luke 8, Jesus wrote, they were traveling through the cities and the village proclaiming, the good, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. I don't know if you caught that as we've been going through, but it's clear that the kingdom of God was important to Jesus. But why? 
Why is the kingdom of God or what is the kingdom of God? And that's my question for this morning. What is the kingdom of God? Well, John Nell answers, and this is a long answer. So I'm going to put it here on the monitor, I believe, hopefully for us. The kingdom of God is the rule of an eternal sovereign God over all creatures and things. The kingdom of God is also the designation for the sphere of salvation entered into a new birth. The kingdom of God embraces all created intelligence, both in heaven and earth, that are willingly subject to the Lord and are in fellowship with him. The kingdom of God is therefore universal, is that it includes created angels and men. It is eternal as God is eternal, and it is spiritual found within all born-again believers. We enter into the kingdom of God when we are born again, and we are then part of the kingdom for eternity. It is relationship born of the Spirit, and we have confident assurances that it is so because the Spirit bears witness with our spirit. See, God is sovereign. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient, and he's the ruler over all of his creation. I prayed this morning, as you said here, that you've come to understand that and accept that and worship him for that. However, the destination of the kingdom of God compasses the realm which is subject to God and will be for eternity. The rest of creation will be destroyed and only that which is part of the kingdom of God will remain. So when you and I think of the kingdom of God, it is here this morning as each heart submits to God. We are part of the kingdom of God. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. When you and I think of heaven where we die and where we'll spend eternity, that is the kingdom of God that will be here on the new heaven and the new earth. So only that which is in the kingdom and belongs to the kingdom of God will survive. That's what the kingdom of God is. You see, this is important. Jesus is preaching and teaching not just a salvation message that offers forgiveness, but the fullness of God's great plan of redemption that he promised in the garden after the fall of man. And this plan includes all that is necessary to reconcile man back to God. Just consider what all kingdoms have. And you and I don't think of kingdoms so much. I I think there's just a few nations today that still call themselves kingdom. The first one, the biggest one, the most popular is Saudi Arabia. I think that's the kingdom. They have a prince and princess and, and things of that nature. And they still use the word kingdom as that. So think of, you know, maybe Lord of the Rings or, or Cinderella, whatever. You think of these kingdoms, right? Well, every kingdom must have a king or a lord, a sovereign ruler. In Psalms 103, we read that the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. He has a a territory, a domain, a, a line of where his kingdom is. And it's interesting that King Nebuchadnezzar, who ruled over most of the known world, back in Daniel chapter 4, 3, says, how great are God's signs. How mighty is Yahweh's wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. His kingdom includes all that he has created. There's a constitution. There's a royal covenant. We find a source in the new covenant where Jesus gave his blood and his life for you and I. We, we memorize or we remember that each at the beginning of each, um, each month. 
but also every kingdom is going to have citizens. Those who belong and are citizens who are under the rule of the king. It's a community of subjects. And as we already said in John chapter 3, Jesus said, truly, truly, unless you are born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So not all created beings are citizens of the kingdom of God. It is an exclusive citizenship. The law has accept. it has a law. It has an understanding of how you are to live. We are taught to obey all that Christ has commanded us. It has privileges and rights as citizens, just as you and I have here in the United States. The Apostle Paul writes to the church of Rome that the children of God are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. It has a code of ethics where we love God with all our heart and our neighbor as herself. It has an army, a security. Jesus promises that the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. It has economic security in which God has promised to supply all our needs as a sovereign ruler. It has a social culture. It has traditions, protocols, and procedures. And you and I, as citizens of the kingdom of God, we recognize that with the ordinance, baptism, Lord's Supper, the reading of God's word, the, uh, the, the, the reading of, of, of public, or the public prayers and of living, uh, living together. Those are things that God has called us to do. Now what's interesting about God's kingdom is that it's different than what the world is. And hence we find why the world is struggling with accepting Jesus as Messiah. For Jesus comes and says, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ, I am the King, I am the anointed one. And so they're looking forward for him to set up his kingdom and and set the Jews back up and and kick out the Romans. However, as Jesus has been teaching the secrets of the kingdom of God, we find that his kingdom is reversal of our worldly system. It consists of radical generosity, servant leadership, peacemaking, forgiveness, and a deep piety that rejects religious hypocrisy it is different from the world and hence that's why so many including the religious leaders that should have been first to to bow their knee before christ instead rejected him they rejected his invitation to become citizens of the kingdom of god not all will be able to understand its principles and some will simply reject it outright if it doesn't meet their expectations fulfill their dreams too many To many people, the cost of becoming a citizen of the kingdom of God is just way too high. But yet the secrets of the kingdom of God are for those that God has personally called to himself. So where do we go from here? You understand now parables convey the truth of the kingdom of God but they also conceal and reveal. So only those who understand show themselves to be true citizens of the kingdom of God. So what do you and I do now that we understand that there is a kingdom that you and I are are citizens of? And let me tell you, there are going to be times where as citizens of the kingdom of God, it is going to clash with your citizen of whatever nation state you're in. We are seeing that today. We're seeing that here in California. Uh, churches can't meet unless they're 50, only 15% of their people. Well, that goes against what God has called. God has said, he says, call all my people to me. And you and I need to understand that. 
is you have a decision to make as we go on. Will you act as citizens of the kingdom of God or or are you going to act as just a citizen of this world? One will show whether or not you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. So where do we go from here? There's two things. Number one, you need to recognize that a citizen of the kingdom of God comes with privileges. You are going to receive some wonderful, amazing gifts and benefits. In Ephesians, he tells us you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. It's built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being that chief cornerstone in whom the whole structure is being joined together and it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are included in his household. Look at the monitor with me real real quickly. Philippians uh, chapter 3. The apostle Paul reminds us, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Amen? I am waiting for that day by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. You know, that's what I'm looking for. That day when I'm delivered, not only from the aches and pains of this 56-year-old body that feels like it's 70 at times, not only from the evil that's around us, not only from the hurt and the suffering from not only those that I love and care for, but for many of you, but I'm also looking forward to that day that we're delivered from the presence of sin. Oh, that's just going to be a wonderful day. That is something that you and I, as citizens of the kingdom, we are waiting for God's kingdom to come here or for God to take us when he wills and bring us to that kingdom. There's some privileges with it for all those who submit themselves to Christ. But also we need to recognize, just as there's wonderful privileges, that a citizen of the kingdom of God also comes with responsibilities. The Apostle John writes this in 1 John chapter 4, or chapter 5, excuse me, 1 through 4. It's here in the monitor, I believe. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Oh, here's some tough things. We're to love the Father and love those that have been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and that his commandments are not burdensome. Yet I feel there are many that sit under the preaching of God's word week from week who believe so, that it is. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. And that's our faith, that's our trust in God. From that, let me give you four quick things. What is it, our responsibility? This is not exclusive. These are just four things that you can just take when you need to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Can't love yourself. It can't be your dreams, your aspirations, and then maybe God if you have time. Some of you are here, but God has only been on your mind just since you've come in here. And then the rest of the week, the word of God is there. You don't listen to it. You don't read it. You don't talk about it with your family, your children. Uh, You don't think of them much. 
But we need to love God. We need to love others. Simple, that's the second commandment. Love others. What does he say? If you hate your brother, what? You've murdered him. Some of you have got some bitterness, some resentment, some, some anger in your heart that's unresolved. Be angry and what? Sin not. Do not let your anger or the sun go down on your anger. You need to take care of that. You need to obey his commandments. Yes, his commandments are many. but They're summed up in loving God and loving others. If this is going to dishonor God, then don't do it. If this is going to hurt others, then don't do it. It's very simple. When you really get down to it, God has a way of summing things up so perfectly, doesn't he? And so you and I need to consider that. But then let me give you this one. He says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory, her faith. So you and I need to fight sin. Because there are little skirmishes. We are are in the kingdom of God today, but yet there are skirmishes around the wall. Satan is trying to drag us out of the kingdom of God. He's trying to get us to, if we could, to renounce our citizenship in the kingdom of God. By the way, you cannot lose your salvation. For those who walk away were never part of the kingdom of God. They were just traveling through dressed like a kingdom of God, acting like a citizen of the kingdom of God, but not truly kingdoms of God. I pray here this morning that all of you are citizens of the kingdom of God. Most of you I know personally, and you have shared that with me. And let me tell you, I pray that God would confirm that each and every day in your life. But as citizens of the kingdom of God, you need to receive with gratitude all those things that God has given you, but also recognize that it comes with responsibilities. For the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to us. Let us live as citizens of the kingdom of God. Would the worship team come up? And I believe, Randy, you have pastor's prayer this morning. Would you go ahead and come on up and be ready? For the rest, as you close your Bible, would you just take a moment uh, just to, 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 to bow your head, close your eyes? Uh, I just want you to take a moment to pause and consider the words that we've just shared and then I'm going to ask you to spend some time praying, not only now, but, but later, in the, uh, later this week. And ask the Holy Spirit, how should I respond? As a citizen of the kingdom of God, what are some promises I need to claim? What are some responsibilities I need to do? Is my heart aligned with God? I encourage you to do so. Let us commit this morning as citizens of the kingdom of God to demonstrate our gratitude through our worship of God and our service to others. Let us commit to sharing the good news that the kingdom of God is growing as individuals submit to his lordship one heart at a time. And if you're not sure of your citizenship, then I invite you to join with me after the service to find out how you too can acquire this most wonderful, amazing gift of salvation that makes you a citizen of the kingdom of God. Manny, would you come and pray for us this morning? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.